Welcome to Redemption Unscripted. On this podcast, you will hear unscripted conversation to help you know Jesus, grow in your relationship with Him, and go advance His kingdom. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of Redemption Unscripted. I'm Pastor Rick McKee, and today I'm your host. I've been on our podcast for most of our episodes, but I've never hosted before, and I'm kind of excited because being on the host mic means I get to ask questions, and I don't have to give answers, which means the pressure is entirely off of me. And on these two wonderful people in the room with me. See, today's topic requires some expertise that I do not have. So let me tell you who's on mic here. We have Matt Knaby. Matt, welcome, brother. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited about this. I am really glad you are here. Uh, Tell us your credentials beyond guitarist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I am a mental health therapist. I'm a licensed uh, professional counselor. Um, I work for a nonprofit ministry out of Akron called Emerge. Been there for just over six years. And um, I also do a podcast, which I've had both of you wonderful people on, um, and have uh, just been in uh, the psychology world going on a little over a decade. So that's some of my credentials. So Emerge is a great ministry. I've actually gone to Emerge for some counseling myself at one point. It is a great ministry. And Matt, you have been a resource to me as a pastor when when I have questions in the counseling arena, I call you up. Yeah, those are great conversations. Really good conversations. And then I call you up when I say, hey, there's a song I want to write. So you are (laughs) a very talented musician and our church has been blessed by that for sure. But today we have you in your professional bucket, your expertise there. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny because I think um, people who go to our church would be surprised that the guy in the back row who's, you know, slamming his head up and down and Shredding. rocking out is also a mental health therapist and, and helping people through those issues. But um, real excited about our conversation today. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Well, brother, I'm glad you're here. And then Matt and I are joined by our best looking staff member at Redemption Chapel. The beautiful Shannon McKee, my wife, but you are not here today because you're my wife. You're not here today because you are on our staff as our women's ministry director. You're here today because you're a life coach. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? And Shannon, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I am a life coach. I um, got my certification a couple of years ago uh, with a little bit of expertise in the areas of uh, the Enneagram and integrative prayer. Uh, So those kind of impact the way that I go about coaching. Um, I do most of my coaching through um, a ministry here in the Akron area, Free to Be Ministries. Uh, So similar in in many ways to Emerge, but but yeah, so uh, I work as part of that team. And um, And you also take clients directly. I mean, yeah. Matt gave a shout out to Emerge, you gave it to Free to Be, and yet you have your own yeah. company. Yeah. Yeah, I have my own uh, LLC called Art of You, uh, and I coach um, clients that way. Similar type of thing that I do at Free to Be, but um, it's just in more creative spaces like the library or sure. whatever right instead on. of at the offices there. So Okay, so I didn't tell you who I was going to throw this at you, but 
Uh, since my, Matt, you are a licensed counselor, and Shannon, you are a licensed coach, my guess is for a lot of people, they're like, eh, what's the difference? Mm -hmm. So, what's the difference? We've actually talked about this before. Yeah, you can start. And I... Um, I think one of the main differences is um, I don't have um, the expertise or the ability to diagnose um, true psychological issues. And so I'm working with people, oftentimes, sometimes they've already gone through counseling and then they're coming my way because they want help kind of getting unstuck and applying the things that they're learning. Yeah. Um, so I'm more in, in that bucket. Yeah, I think coaches and, and therapists work well together. Um, oftentimes people get to me with what I would consider clinical issues that um, need a diagnosis. Um, oftentimes when I work through that with a client, I then partner with a coach because then there's some resourcing and life um, things that I think coaches have a better grasp on than maybe some of the more uh, trauma-focused mm -hmm. stuff that I would be doing. Um, the therapies in my world are, are, are very much like EMDR. You know, we're going after um, memories, a lot of past stuff. And therapists will do a future-oriented stuff, but maybe not as much as like a coach's role in getting somebody moving forward after they've been able to That's clean interesting. up their so past. So you're, you're setting up there that therapists deal a lot with the past. Correct. Not exclusively. Not we exclusively. don't want to overstate that. Whereas coaches will deal a lot with the future. Mm. Not exclusively. We don't want to overstate that. But that, that's yeah. interesting. I think it's a great partnership. And I think it's something that is um, probably needed to be more accepted in our communities. Um, mm. I don't know that we've utilized therapists and coaches enough, um, but that's probably a whole nother podcast right on. of a topic that we could dive into some other day. But. Well, and in part why, when you said you're at Emerge, why I intentionally put out there that I've been there, like I, to normalize, to say, yeah. you know, like it's, it's a healthy thing. Yeah. Now, I have never gone to my wife for coaching, except in, for 31 years, I kind of have. I was going to say. So. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's kind of a daily right, coaching. Right. Sure, sure. She, you said, honey, that you can't diagnose, and yet... It'd almost be beneficial, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it would be at times. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, before we get into our topic, I want to ask you guys, we are in uh, the holiday season, okay? Mm -hmm. So when this podcast is coming out, we will have just eclipsed Halloween, and we're coming up on Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. The question is, which is your favorite of those holidays and why? So my favorite, um, it, my clear favorite is Thanksgiving. For a couple reasons. Um, one, it's in my favorite season. I love the fall, um, and I um, abhor the people who transition to Christmas as soon as Halloween is over because I'm like, wait, you're skipping a whole month. So I love the fall. I love Thanksgiving. You should I, hear the filth and vulgarities in our household when she's coming <laughs> off Facebook. No, that's not true. But that is not true. But I do love it, and I think one of the reasons, honestly, that I love it is it's one of the few holidays that um, we aren't doing anything at the church. And since you're a pastor and I work at the church, a lot of our holidays involve being here. And whereas Thanksgiving, we're, it's just our family chilling. It's a very relaxing holiday for us. Legit. That's a good call. Matt, what would you say? I, you know, I thought about this. For me, it's got to be Christmas. And I think growing up, it was Christmas because that was the one holiday we did see 
everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, like Thanksgivings, we would alternate and we would see one side of the family, my mom's side or my dad's side. Even still as an adult with with my wife and, and our extended families, we see everybody at Christmas. Like Christmas isn't just the 25th. It's like one day, Christmas Eve, we're here and even the following week. So um, I just remember growing up, I would get so excited for that time of the season. I would almost make myself sick and always going into Christmas because I was so excited. I was always like had, you know, some type of illness going on. And my mom was like, you, you get yourself so worked up for this time of the year. Um, but kind of sounds mental. It does. It, that's diagnosable. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Oh, wow. Well, and, and by the way, I can uh, joke with Matt in that way, if you haven't picked up already, Matt is not only a member of our church and a, a counselor that's a help at times, but uh, also a good friend. Mm -hmm. And uh, Shannon and I were just out just two nights ago uh, together yeah. with you and your wife. Yeah. yeah. I'm getting a lot of McKee time this week. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, sorry More than you that. might want. No, yeah. I love it. Right on. Well, my answer would be split between yours. Like Christmas, I think is... <laughs> December 5th. No. But <laughs> <laughs> like, right in the middle, I'm making it on my own. Uh, Christmas is, I think, legit my favorite. But professionally, it becomes so... Yeah encumbered with a lot of work that now Thanksgiving has become that because they're like, we don't do anything as a church. And so it is a sweet family time and I'm frying the turkey out in the garage and, you know, like, uh, yeah, so it's, um, it is a sweet family time. I agree, uh, Shan. It's great. Yeah. All right. Well, here is today's topic. Let me set it up. We brought you two in because we want to talk about narcissism. And the reason why this came up for me is I'm seeing it used so much on social media in a very um, casual but seemingly authoritative way, like just thrown around that, uh, that, that oh, he must be a narcissist. And if, if you're married to a narcissist and all that. And so there's all this uh, talk of it on social media. As well, I have encountered it in my office at times when as a pastor meeting with somebody who has perhaps been counseled by another or something like that, and narcissism flows into that person's, usually that person's accusation against their spouse, and uh, it really just puts in a complete freeze on progress. And, and so I've noticed this starting to happen more and more. And so I thought I went to Austin and, and Pastor Austin, I said, who, Pastor Austin runs our podcast. And I said, hey, I think it would be interesting to do a podcast about narcissism. But we're going to have to bring in some people who have some more credentials in this area. Mm -hmm. Hence why we wanted to sit down with you too. And so, uh, so I'm seeing a problem in how narcissism, narcissism is understood or misunderstood and how it's used in our culture. And having said that, I just want to start with you two and say, can you relate to the problem as I set it up? And does that resonate with you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a huge issue because it's become a buzzword that has been used uh, over and over again, probably oftentimes inappropriately, um, Shannon and I were talking before we hit record that I remember, you know, maybe 20 years ago, it, the buzzword was bipolar. Okay. Like we just kept using that word. And if somebody showed any signs of emotion, they're so bipolar. Um, and I feel like narcissism has become that word of maybe the last few years or so that um, we're utilizing on social media, but also in the news. Um, and I'm what you're saying it, there, Matt, is in the bipolar 
we were using it at times when people weren't actually bipolar. Correct. It wasn't helpful. Were blanket okay. state statements gotcha. on on populations of people that were using um, clinical words that have definitions and purposes that were watering down to blanket statement on um, people who we don't like their behavior. Right. Um, so that, that there's, uh, there's for me, I, I, similarly to you, um, I would say probably in the last three or four years uh, in the clinical office that I, I have, um, that, that word comes up more often than it did prior. So it's, you're, we're seeing... Isn't a weird phenomenon, like how that just all of a sudden spiked? It did. A word that, like, I don't know that I would have heard five years ago. Yeah. Now I can't not hear it for a week. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of reasons for that, and this is my own hypothesis, but how many times over the last several years have we seen men in power abuse that mm -hmm. and these major scandals come out, okay. and that headline is narcissism? And all of a sudden now we're taking that word and we're bringing it into every marriage and we're bringing it into every situation with our, our boss that we don't like or a pastor that feels like, you know, whatever. Whoa, so, back up. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Well, I'm, I mean I'm looking at see that you just gestured at me when right. you said that. <laughs> right, right. I wasn't trying to diagnose no, here. No, but, no, no. But I mean, I, I do think because uh, how many issues have come up of late over the last three, four years, documentaries, podcasts, so many things have come out of people in power who are abusing other people, and then that word has been extrapolated from those yeah. those headlines. So, Shan, do you resonate with all that? I mean, yeah, I really do. I mean, I think there's um, uh, legitimate pain points that people have had with people in power where they have felt unheard or undervalued or whatever, and so they are looking for a, a quick way to just blame that or mm -hmm. to label that okay. instead of delving into actual relational healing sometimes in those situations. So mm -hmm. I think I, I think our political climate has spiked the use of that word. I think, yeah, I think it's all over the place. And I think it is used at times in ways that are not helpful to actual healing and growth. All right. And I want to get into talking about that, like times when it is not helpful. But I thought maybe first we would start out with clarifying. Okay, so if bipolar means A and not B, well, let's talk about narcissism. What is A? What does it actually mean? What is narcissism in an accurate definition? So um, rather than just giving you my perspective on it, um, is a mental health therapist, we use a, a book called the DSM, and that's what we utilize to diagnose. And so... What's um, DSM stand for? Uh, diagnostic of something... Manual? Manual, yeah. What's the S? I can't remember. I Sickness? Remember yeah. We'll, we'll put it in the liner notes. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, anyway, the DSM, which we are... Um, I'm just going to read the, the definition. This is the, the um, short criteria, and then there's a bunch of other things. But essentially, is a pattern of grandiosity, need for admiration, lack of empathy. That's a key, is, is lack of empathy. Okay. Uh, it encompasses a hunger for appreciation or admiration, a desire to be the center of attention, and an expectation of special treatment reflecting perceived higher status. All right. So that's what the... Uh 
which we call it the Diagnostic and Statistic. I can't even say it. I can't even read it. Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Yes. I understand why you call it the DSM. That's right. I forget the name. That that's is a right. mouthful, man. Yeah. The DSM. Okay, so that's the technical DSM definition. How would you guys put that into layman's language? If you were to paraphrase that. Well, we were talking a little bit even before we hit record that there's a, there's a spec, there's that technical definition of it, and then there's a spectrum of behaviors that fit within that, some more severe than others. So I think most people, when they think of someone that is a narcissist, they think of the, the grandiose, need to be the center of attention type of person. And so they label that person yeah. a narcissist. I think the problem, even as I read that definition, we live in a culture right now that breeds that. Mm. We live in a very self-centered, self-driven, it's about me culture. And so by nature, we are living in a culture that breeds narcissism. And so I think we're seeing more narcissistic type personalities. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying diagnosable personality disorder, but as, as Shannon said, I believe it is a spectrum because I believe most people have some narcissism in them. Okay. Most of us deal with that. And most of us are fighting against some of that on a regular basis. And that we can call that ego. You can call that, you know, our sinful nature, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but there are, there are things I think sometimes, and maybe we'll get to it later, that could be a little bit advantageous about having some of those traits as well. It's just not all negative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, in it. You know, you even said sin nature, and that's how it strikes me as a pastor. I think if, if what it is is having an overt self-focus and self-interest, I think that started in the Garden of Eden yeah. and has been going on in every human being since. So there's a degree to which when I hear that, I go, well, everybody's a narcissist, and yet everybody's not diagnosable. Right. So uh, what would make it tip the scale into, and who, well, maybe I should ask, who can diagnose it and under what circumstance and, and what would lead to a diagnosis of this person is a narcissist? Yeah, so to diagnose that, you would have to have at minimum a counselor's level master's degree or above, and that would include psychologist, uh, psychiatrist, um, you know, or any, just being on Facebook or, or yeah, <laughs> People think or apparently so. everybody everywhere. <laughs> okay. Um, you don't, yeah. So I, you need some, um, I mean, there, there's, there's specific trainings in Like I've been specifically trained in learning how to discern between, cause a lot of diagnoses, um, look very similar in presentation. So you've got to be able to discern, you know, is this, um, bipolar or is this just depression? Like, how do I, how do we know, you know, cause oftentimes bipolar, um, uh, people who suffer from that, they present more often than not in a depressed state mm. and you can miss that. Sure. If cause when they're manic, they don't come in. They don't, they don't come in yeah, right. because they're, they're living the high life. And, um, so that's neither here nor there, but really those are the people that can really diagnose it. The diagnosis comes from when it moves into areas that they are not able to have relationship in two or more places. So if they're not able to, to um, connect well, have relationship at work, 
and at home and socially, that starts to get into a clinical area where they're seeing um, adverse responses. So like if somebody comes in, it's like, my, my, I'm, I'm really thriving at my job, I'm doing really well with my friends, but it's my wife and I that are not really connecting. That's hard for me to get into a personality disorder because it should then wow. persevere other areas. It's going to manifest in all my relationships. Exactly. Okay. The other, uh, I think, the thing that's really, really important, and I, I share this with a lot of the people, and um, our clinical director and I are actually talking and prep for this, and uh, he and I were talking about for, for a narcissistic diagnosis, you would see that in late adolescence and early adulthood. So this would be, you know, if you've been married, let's say 20, 30 years, your husband has not become a narcissist in the last year. Mm. It's something that should be prevalent and you should have known about well into that dating because the onset of personality disorders, which is what a narcissistic personality disorder is, you would start seeing that at 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. And it's, it's, it's persistent. It's okay. not something that comes, like our personalities don't come and go. So those things are consistent. If you see something where it's like over the last year, you know, my spouse or my boss or somebody I work with, their behaviors are radically changing. It's probably something else and it's probably not personality. Maybe there's an addiction that started. Maybe there's sure. something else that showed up. Maybe there was a loss of relationship. Maybe there was a trauma. But the, the idea that a, a narcissism just kind of shows up, like we had a wonderful marriage for 10 years and all of a sudden he became a narcissist. It's probably not the case. Although what if I watched a YouTube video, then I can diagnose it. That is true. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe, well, not, maybe not. In popular culture, that is true. But You joke, but I think that that's, like I think it's important to, to take note of that because I've been in a lot of situations where I, I will hear... Um, I will hear someone say, like, well, my counselor said that my spouse is a narcissist. Which is illegal. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, literally, that's an say ethical that issue. Again. You cannot diagnose somebody who's not in the room. So yeah. I, sorry. That Did curls, you just get triggered, brother? Oh, my gosh. It curls, it curls everything because I've heard that from so many people who was like, who've said, well, my, my therapist has diagnosed my husband. And it's like that you cannot do that. Yeah. That's, that's not, not a ethical. Thing. Yeah. It can't is, be your counselor. can't be your best friend. can't be, you know, like there's a long list of people that should not be saying, well, he's a narcissist or whatever. But right. I feel like we accept that as fact. Like, well... He must be, or mm -hmm. and by the way, women can be narcissists too. It, but it seems like it most often is leveled at men. Man, I, I, that feels true to me. That that uh, statistically, when we're talking accurate therapist doing a diagnosis of narcissism, and it's real and it's accurate, I would guess statistically it's more often men than women. Is that true, or is that just it, it, you know? Cycle? I don't know that we have the numbers for okay. that. But my guess would be because of our natures, I think probably more men maybe fall into that. Mm -hmm. But like Shannon just said, it, it's not exclusive to masculinity or femininity. Sure. Women absolutely can be diagnosed uh, with narcissistic personality disorder. Um, yeah, Shannon. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that there's a, there's a study that I'm aware of that would say, 80% of people diagnosed with some men versus women. I don't, I don't know that per se. There might be that I don't, I'm just not aware of it. Well, this has been really helpful to bring in some of your expertise to kind of get the accurate definition and how and how you cannot diagnose it. Uh, it 
Shannon, you and I have interacted at times, like, uh, and so I know you have thoughts on this about how the popular use or the, uh, from what we've just experienced, the misuse of the term, how it is wrong and how it's hurting us at times. Do you have thoughts on that? On the pop culture side of it specifically? Yeah, I, I think um, for me, at least from what my experience is, specifically because I deal with uh, personality um, through the Enneagram, that tool, I find that a lot of times in the pop culture settings, we're assuming narcissistic behavior for somebody that's more of a challenger or a leader type of person. Mm -hmm. But, and so we, we don't, because it's being misused that way, we don't acknowledge it in somebody who maybe is more peaceful. They, they can lack empathy. They can have grandiose thoughts about themselves, but maybe it's more of a passive aggressive way that they're doing it. And so like on the Enneagram, probably everybody thinks an eight is, a, is narcissistic, when in reality, all nine types can be narcissistic. And so when we, when we do that in the pop culture realm, it ends up being labels, blanket statements, just things that are unhelpful, and you relegate somebody off there. Oh, he's a narcissist, so he's, you know. So, so a leader or a challenger, so in your world of Enneagram, we're probably talking one, three, eight, right? Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean they're a narcissist. Now, they might be. They might be a clinical narcissist. But then we give a pass to all the other personality types, and they, that person could be, and we just don't. So we're, we're mislabeling. Right. All and right. It, pop culture lends itself to labeling. We, we do that all the time with all kinds of things. Yeah. Any other way you think it's well, it, It's also, it's unfair. Okay. It's, it's not kind. Um, there are narcissists out there. So that's why this word exists. But I also think that um, we are very quick to label um, people. And those labels and tags can carry with somebody who maybe was just having a bad day. Mm. You know, I think... I think it's it's a human nature thing to want to put people in a quick box, and but these terms they carry heaviness. Like when you label somebody socially as a narcissist, that can affect them long term and things that you maybe in the moment don't even realize. That's why even as a therapist, I am very, 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 very careful about diagnosing somebody because, and I say that very many times because I want people to recognize, especially somebody who's younger, I'm not going to diagnose them with the most heavy diagnosis until I am completely 100% sure because that's going to follow them mm -hmm. potentially for the rest of their life. And, and, and that's- Which means they could live down to it. For sure. Okay. You and gave they, me this label. Now that's who I perceive myself to be. They could lose job opportunities. They could um, lose potential relationships. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Um, and, and narcissism and, and the word we're using, this is not a light term. I mean, this is not, you know, this guy's a jerk. This, this carries a lot more weight than that. Like, we all can be in moments a jerk. I'm sure, you can ask my wife, I'm sure I've been a jerk. But narcissism is a heavy diagnosis that I don't think should be so loosely used. For example, like I said earlier, 
bipolar is when you work with somebody who suffers from bipolar, mm -hmm. that is a very, very difficult diagnosis to live with. And those people really struggle. And when we use a word and it's like, oh, he's so bipolar, I think it's I think it's rude to say that in front of somebody who might be suffering from bipolar, who's sure. like, oh, we're just throwing something around. And it's a prison that I live in constantly. It's the same thing, you know, we, we do the same thing with OCD. Mm -hmm. I have clients that they are trapped in a home and they suffer from OCD. And then I hear people like, oh, see my desk, it's so clean, that's my OCD. You know, these are serious diagnoses that um, I don't think should be taken lightly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in my world, that's it before it, when the term abuse is used so broadly, such when everything's abuse, then nothing's That's abuse. It. And yet somebody is actually experiencing real abuse and it's so hurtful to her or to him, usually it's her, but, but that we use that term that she's dying with yeah. so casually. Yeah. And we're doing that with narcissism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I will always ask clients to define that, you know, when they use words that are clinical, um, and I, I, would, I would consider abuse to be in there. Mm -hmm. If somebody says, well, I've been abused, I immediately, I don't assume I want them to tell me what that means to them because I've had an array of different definitions of what people think abuse is. Mm -hmm. The same with narcissism. When somebody brings narcissism up in the, the clinical office, I'll ask them, well, what does that mean to you? And oftentimes you get all kinds of different answers. And that's me getting feedback to understand, oh, this is what they actually meant. Or maybe it was narcissism. You know, Maybe they are being... Um, uh, hurt in a relationship because of somebody who is dealing with narcissistic tendencies of, of some sort. Well, let me ask you to this, because one of the things I think I perceive with the use, the popular, the casual use of the term narcissism is that it's different from saying, uh, hypothetically, he doesn't have very good listening skills because I know with somebody that doesn't have good listening skills, I can teach them and they can learn listening skills. My perception of the casual use of the term is the idea is attached to it that once a narcissist, always a narcissist, there's no hope. So it's actually a deal breaker. Once I get to the point where I label somebody a narcissist, then I have written off all hope and I can just walk away. Now, that, that's what I think I'm perceiving. How, react to that. Is that what you feel as well? I mean, Matt and I were talking about that a little bit. Okay. Just the... Um, it depends if we say there's a spectrum of how severe narcissistic behavior can be to the point of diagnosis. And then before you get to that, are there these behaviors that are narcissistic tendencies or styles of relating those? I feel like um, there's difference in that spectrum as far as how you're going to, how you're going to treat it and how you're going to help a, a Christian grow who might be suffering from actual narcissistic. And so it depends on the spectrum. Yeah. I, I've seen it used, and this is by both men and women, as a get out of marriage free yes. card. And rather than um, he doesn't listen, it makes me justified in saying she's a narcissist or he's a narcissist. And therefore, that's finality. And I have the right now to leave this right. marriage versus trying to justify he doesn't understand me or she doesn't listen to me or respect me. It's a lot harder to walk away scot-free sure. from a marriage. So it becomes a, 
a get out of jail free card or a Trump card I, that I can throw on I the think table. So like a anything lot. else I would complain about in my marriage, we would go to counseling and work on. Yeah. Once I get to throw the narcissism card on the table, that's saying I'm done and I'm justified. Because in now I'm in an abusive yeah. situation. Yeah, and I, I granted in your office, I don't think you as much go into the biblical reasons for divorce, mm-hmm. but that would not be one of them. Like, oh, you know, I do though. You I mean, do. Okay. <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I would want to know more information because I, I, I don't want anybody to be in an abusive situation. Legit. But I also would not um, excuse that as a response. And I would pull out scripture. Unfortunately, I, li- I work in a nonprofit ministry yes. that I am able to do that. I don't work for a state-funded um, uh, uh, agency that, that maybe wouldn't allow me to do that. But um, you know, within my you know scope of practice, I develop relationships with my clients that they are okay with me sharing mm-hmm. um, things from scripture. I always ask, "Are you okay with this?" And if somebody says no, then you know I'll respect that. But um, I, I wouldn't uh, be shy to well, say you, that brother. this is not a biblical reason to leave a marriage. 100%, because we, we commit to in sickness and in health, mm-hmm. and, and this would be a, a sickness. For if, sure. if it is, indeed. Well, but, but we're already rolling into that we've been kicking around kind of the popular use, social media, that kind of thing. But I know both of you, uh, I at least believe both of you have probably been in a counseling or coaching setting where this is coming up and it's not helpful. It's hurting uh, the counselee, the other parties involved, the, 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 the actual process of counseling or coaching. Talk to me about that. Like, how have you experienced it in your professional hmm. endeavor? Some of it we've already talked about a little bit where I will be um, meeting with somebody who is using it as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Or even if I'm dealing with somebody who is displaying narcissistic kind of behaviors, even for for them, because of the way culture treats it, it's kind of like, well, this is just how I am. Instead of actually believing, at least in the Christian realm, we believe that the Holy Spirit indwells you and that he empowers you to change. And so... Depending on where you are on that spectrum, God, God can really, you know, if we're just talking about some narcissistic behaviors, God can bring, bring about change. You can grow. You can become a better listener. You can start to be more other-centered. Like, those are things that can happen um, almost most of the time, except in extreme situations. And so... Yeah. I think the other thing, too, to think about, and, and I don't know that most people would... Um, be aware of this, but when you are truly a narcissist that's diagnosable, you rarely see them in counseling. Hmm. They're not coming. Oh, they don't need to. There's nothing wrong with them. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. right. So when, when you really, if somebody's there really wanting to work, they're probably not diagnosable as a narcissist because that person who is, there's no need. Yeah. They're the ones that are counseling all the people around them, you know? And so... Um, I think that's another thing. When you have somebody that's willing and open to come to counseling, you know, they may have some narcissistic tendencies, but they're probably not a narcissist. Um, they don't get to me, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. unless they're court ordered or sure. something else is going on. Um, usually it's not the, the case. So 
I, that, that's really interesting, Matt, and, and I love hearing that. And Shannon, I want to get back to something you said because when I when I'm talking to you to about people in your office where you're in that setting with them, I'm thinking about them accusing somebody else of narcissism. I wasn't even thinking about the fact that they themselves might be a narcissist, but because of the way it's used, they think, therefore, I can't grow. Mm-hmm. And it's a death sentence, no. and I'm done. Yeah. So uh, is the narcissist able to – like, if you're bipolar, that's a chemical imbalance in your brain, right? You mm-hmm. will always be bipolar. Uh, there's things we can do, but you might need chemical help, um, yeah. medic- medication. A lot but, of psychoeducation to help them know when a manic episode's coming on, what to do. Sure. What interventions do I do? Who do I get involved? When do I shut down my credit cards? When do I shut mm-hmm. down, you know, the internet? You know, like, so it's managing coping. It's, and, it's managing, you know, um, pharmaceutical uh, medications and, and things, managing those. Um, the thing with narcissism um, is it is part of your personality. We're not talking about a mood disorder. You know, anxiety and depression are things that may come and go. Your personality doesn't. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean, you know, like we, we had talked about, like it, it, my, at 46 now, I'm not the same human being I was at 26. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly a person in work. And the thing that God puts on my radar, like I, I have a lot of guys in my life that are a few years down the road, and, and I'll be in conversation with them, and they'll be talking about what God's doing in their life. And I'm like, oh, man, that's not, that's not even on my radar yet. Like, I didn't even think of that, you know? So... That, that means my personality is ever-changing, especially when, I, when I'm actively pursuing who I am in Christ. And I'm, I'm molding that to be more like him. With that being said, there are parts of me that are pretty consistent from the time I was five to who I am today. So I, if, if somebody's listening and they're, they're struggling with these things, it, it's not necessarily a death sentence, but every person on this planet has to overcome something of the self. Like we're all dealing with something of the self. And when scripture takes us back to go to die of yourself, to die of these things, to serve, you know, the the sermon that you gave this week about loving others, those are all things that we have to intentionally do. And it's sometimes it's beyond who we automatically are. And sometimes who we automatically are is not very good. You know, I talk to people all the time. I'm like, we need to be responders to the world, not reactors. When you react, you're operating out of your automatic response that is usually your most sinful nature. Mm-hmm. When you respond to the world, we slow down. God, how many times did God say, be slow to anger, be slow to speak, be slow of the tongue? When you're responding, these are going into the Holy Spirit, pausing. I've told my wife this before. I'm like, if I don't respond immediately, know what I'm doing is best for that situation. <laughs> And I'm taking a moment and I'm going, I'm, I'm accessing the Holy Spirit and going, I want to respond to this situation, not react. And that's across the board. That's people who deal with narcissism. That's people who deal with borderline personality disorder. That's people who deal with anger issues. I mean, that's a spiritual wisdom. That's a mm-hmm. spiritual maturity. And those are things that we can put in practice all the time. And, and so, Shannon, I've heard you talk about how your personality doesn't change. And what you're saying, Matt, is this is part of your personality. So it's mm-hmm. not going away, but you can become a healthier version mm-hmm. of your, yourself. Like, right. Is that right? Did yeah. I get that right? Yeah. So, so our, our personality really is, comes about because we are trying to protect ourselves in the world. Mm-hmm. And so we have a natural tendency as children, things come at us in the world, 
we, we want a way of coping with that or protecting ourselves. And so personality develops different ways for different people as a response to the stimuli around us. And so we, we all have those, and they're pretty well set by the time we're teenagers. Right. Um, but we can be healthy or unhealthy with those. And so somebody who's displaying narcissistic tendencies or styles of coping, well, that's, that's they're being unhealthy in their ways of dealing with it. But almost always, there's something under the surface that we were longing for when we were kids in identity or in um, response from other people that we didn't get. And so like what's actually, it's kind of like the iceberg where there, you, there's what you see on top, but then there's all the stuff underneath. And so a lot of times there's shame, fear, and anger underneath and, so, and sadness about the way the world is. And so that there, we're all just using different mechanisms to cope with all that shame, fear, sadness, and anger that's beneath the surface. And it's usually lies that we've believed somewhere along the way. And the other thing, too, I, I think, you know, the enemy would love for all people to be narcissists. Mm. You know, it just mm -hmm. moves us away from being selfless and serving God. And when you look at, and again, I don't mean to always go back to culture, but it's like you can see over the last 20 years, it's like um, when reality TV hit, all of a sudden I think everybody realized I can be famous. Mm. I don't have to be an unbelievable actor or musician. I can just get on the show, you know, and I... In my uh, world, I, I work with a lot of uh, young adults and teens, and I'll always ask, so what would you like to do after high school or college? Everybody wants to be famous. Like, nobody wants to work real jobs. Be an influencer. Exactly. So, because you said reality TV, but then sure. come along with YouTube oh, you, and TikTok. Exactly. And it's like, it, there's cer a certain point, there was a, a musician friend of mine who was very successful, and uh, this was in the late 90s early 2000s, he goes, Matt, we're moving towards a place where there's going to be more people who want to be famous than are people that can actually buy the stuff the famous people are selling. <laughs> and that's kind of where we've gotten. Like, everybody wants to be a gamer and a YouTuber and, and all of these different things. And, and that's very narcissistic. You know, sure. it's like, it's about, I want to be famous. I don't want to work a real job. But, you know, and so, you know, again, our culture is being bent that way. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we're seeing people become extremely famous and I don't know why. <laughs> why are you even there are famous? times where I'm like, this person is massively famous, but I'm not sure what they did yeah. to get there. True. Where when I was growing up, you know, it was like Eddie Van Halen. He's an amazing guitar player. And it's like, wow, look at this guy. And then, you know, now it's like you just have to be pretty or have to know the right people or be in the right spot, you know. It's so, a cardboard facade. There, there's right. nothing behind it where Van Halen was such a good guitarist that led to his fame, but right. now it's fame for fame's sake, right. which feeds it. So you're talking about something that's gone on culturally. Uh, both of you talked about stuff in the political realm. And so, so, so it seems like on the one hand, we do have a very problematic understanding of narcissism that's inaccurate and unhelpful. Mm. On the other hand, it seems like we do have a growing problem in our culture uh, so, so let me kind of steer us towards what's the upside of this? Like, how has our understanding of narcissism actually grown in a good way that is helping us? And, and what do we need to, I'd love to hear from you too, what do we need to be aware of to grow? So I think this has been a problem for generations. 
for you know, a very long time. We are now talking about it. I think there's a better understanding and being able to see it. You know, I think a lot of people have been hurt um, by people in power who have um, probably been diagnosable narcissists. Um, so I think, you know, even have, I mean, we didn't have conversations like this 10 years ago. So um, I think that's where we're moving towards, you know, a, a better understanding, um, a better awareness. Um, I, I think that the things that we have to be careful of is, is utilizing a word when it's not appropriate or proper. Um, those are things that I think, you know, we need to be careful of. Um, so those are some of the things that I thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think another, a, a, a really good upside, upside, I guess that's redundant, but a definitely an upside is that we, we are talking about it. We're recognizing it, calling it what it is when, when it's the power dynamic that has, has been going on in America for a long time, but it's a lot more, we're able to call it out a little bit quicker now, even if we're not using the term narcissism, but we're still saying like that person is unhealthy um, I think it's especially helpful in the church to recognize when a leader has gone rogue and yes. they are using their spiritual authority to speak for God. Like that can be a real high for a true narcissist. I'm speaking for God, but for for just a guy who wants to lead his church well, I think that being aware that that he could go that direction is an upside of yeah. The it is a check on the mm -hmm. abuse of power, mm -hmm. which is so prevalent in our world and has been for a long time. Mm -hmm. So it is a good check on that. Mm -hmm. let, let me ask you this. I want you to imagine as you speak into the mic. On the other end of that is a pair of ears that belongs to a person who is either tempted to use the term narcissism to describe someone in her or in his life or already has and, and speak into that person's life. What would you say to that person that is, is tempted to, or has been using this term perhaps inappropriately? I think, I think, you know, uh, when you look at scripture, God always turns it back to matters of the heart. And I, I would ask somebody to look in their heart and find out what their motivation is. If it's self-serving, if you're utilizing that word because you feel like this is an easier out, that's probably an inappropriate use of that. And the thing is, you got to be really honest with yourself. Because um, I think a lot of people do believe their own lies, and I think that's, that's a major issue that we all face. Um, but I want you to think about the man or the woman that is in an abusive relationship with a narcissist. And the more we use that word inappropriately, the more it waters it down for that person. It, these words should be used for specific situations when it's appropriate. And the more we water it down, as I said earlier, like bipolar doesn't carry the same weight it should have because culturally we've watered it down. And when somebody comes in um, with an actual bipolar diagnosis, it's, it's, I think it, it's harmful to somebody like that. So when you're using that, think about, you know, am I really in that situation? Is that really the truth? And is my heart in a place of going, I'm just trying to speak truth? Or is there a motivation that's self-serving maybe somewhere else? I, that's what came to my mind. That's very helpful. And, and Shannon, I, I know you in your uh, practice have met with some couples, but more often than not, you're meeting with women and ministering to women. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, a lot of the times when this term is being just batted around casually, inappropriately, it's oftentimes 
times women that are using it. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to hear from you, like uh, on the other end of that mic is a woman that is or is tempted to use the term and just casual. What would you say to her? I think, um, I think I would caution her between doing the good, bad split a little bit and say, okay, now let me pause because that's a term you and I know. What do you mean by good, bad split? Yeah. It just means that, um, you're, you want to put people in a good category or a bad p- category. Black and, or white, all good or all bad. Mm-hmm. And if okay. I can label them as a narcissist, mm-hmm. if I can say he's a narcissist, then I can put him in the bad category mm-hmm. and I can walk away or I can assume he's never going to change or whatever. But if I, if I want to deal with the nuance of I have a spouse or a boss or a friend that is a mixture of good and bad, that they're, they're in process. They're, sometimes they do display some really selfish tendencies, but, but they also have some really sweet, beautiful moments to them too. And so I think that, that our tendency to want to, oh, he's all bad or all good, can really um, circumvent real healing in relationships. And so I would just encourage caution about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in my life, I've, I've got stuff that starts, started in my childhood that is bad. Mm -hmm. And I think of it as I always talk in terms of layers of an onion. Like I, I I can grow in those things. And when I do, I peel off a layer of the onion. Mm -hmm. The problem is I have the rest of the onion. It's still there. So I'm growing, but it's still there. Yeah. And what I'm hearing from you guys is that narcissism, it, it, because of it's part of, part of your personality, until you go home to glory, because then we get glorified bodies, we're going to be free of that. But until that point, it's going to be there. Mm-hmm. And you can grow. Mm-hmm. So that we'd say to the narcissist and the person dealing with the narcissist, we'd say, have hope and it can grow. Am I hearing you right? Yeah. I, th- I think that one of the things that came to mind, too, that I, I wanted to make sure we added uh, to our talk today is um, when people misuse the word um, narcissistic or narcissism, um, in the DSM, very closely related can be Asperger's or autism. Mm-hmm. And, a f- and a common feature is the lack of empathy. And so that's another thing that you've got to be so careful because you're, you're blanket statementing a word, but there are many other issues that somebody may have that's not narcissism but may show up that way and a lot of times people who suffer from autism don't have the personal connection and can come across narcissistic because they don't connect well they don't have the same empathy but those are completely different diagnoses they couldn't be more unrelated but sometimes they show up similarly and so that's another reason like you've got to be really careful of just using that word inappropriately because you might be dealing with somebody who's suffering from autism yeah. Which is a completely different thing, a neurological yeah. issue. Well, I'm glad you said that because I, I would not have thought that. They, they present the same in some cases. And, yeah. and yet when I hear so-and-so has autism, how do you feel about that person? It changes completely. Right? You feel compassion and, right. and excitement for them and you want the best for them. Now, same person, that person's a narcissist. Completely different. Right? Isn't that yeah. interesting? We want to put that person in the villain category. He's a villain. Right. He's, he's all bad. We yeah. can't, we can't have any hope or compassion for him yeah. because, or her, because they're beyond repair and yeah. it's not helpful. Yeah. 
Well, Matt, you said you, you had something you want to get into the conversation. Before we close up, are there any other thoughts that the two of you have on this subject and this topic that can help us? The only kind of thing I would add in is we, we do all swim in the waters of narcissism. We all are affected by it. Um, I think for, because I deal mostly with women, for the woman that is feeling kind of hopeless in her relationship um, because she does feel like she's seeing a lot of really selfish tendencies in her spouse. I think um, I would say this conversation doesn't negate that you might really be hurting because mm. of things your spouse has yeah. said or done. And so we're not saying because it's not diagnosable narcissism that we're okay with it. We're saying there still needs to be healing. There still needs to be growth. Selfishness is not okay. Let's just not, let's be careful how we term it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I am so glad you had the wisdom to add that in. That was huge. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I, I, my last kind of thoughts would be um, for those people who are in relationships with somebody who's narcissistic, my heart goes out to you because it is hard. Mm. Uh, it can be uh, very difficult. It can be something that you feel like you can't get out of. And so I don't want to negate the fact that somebody may be listening and go, you know what, I am actually one of those people mm. who is in a, a, a relationship that I am um, losing myself because of the narcissistic issues that I'm dealing with. My heart goes out to that person. I would encourage them to seek help, um, seek therapy, seek coaching, uh, seek a pastor. At least get some steps going, especially if that person... Um, has not connected with anybody. And then I, I'll always say this. If you are in an bu abusive relationship, find safety, reach out to somebody. Mm. Um, you know, we've been talking about a lot of the negative connotations of misusing that word, but I don't want to forget about the people who have been affected by people who um, uh, exemplify what a narcissistic personality disorder is. And then at the same time, if you're in an abusive situation, reach out to somebody, find anybody, Amen. you know, um, so yeah, those are the and 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 we would and let's get you out of that abusive situation. Totally. Let's get you safe today, 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 right and now. then we'll work on okay, what's next? Yeah. Can it heal? How do we heal? Whatever. First, safety, absolutely. then healing. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Well, the only other thought I had was I wanted to take another shot at saying diagnostic <laughs> and statistical manual of mental disorders. Yeah. Oh, that was pretty impressive. Otherwise known as the. DSM. DSM. Yeah. Okay. So, well, uh, I want you both to know I am big fans of both of you. Uh, the way you serve our church, and Shannon, you're on staff, and Matt, you serve as a volunteer, but both of you serve our church huge. I'm also a big fan of you in the professional category that you are sharing with us today. Uh, Matt, you as a clinical counselor and Shannon, you as a life coach. Uh, both of you are doing great work out there. And I'm so glad that both of you came in today to share with us on this topic. So thank you very much. And I'm also very thankful to you all out there, our listeners to this podcast. I hope this one has blessed you. And I hope you tune in next month for another episode of Redemption Unscripted. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. To catch the latest episode, be sure to subscribe and follow us. For more resources like this, visit our website at www.redemptionchapel.com slash grow. We hope you join us next time on Redemption Unscripted.